Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and blessings. Welcome to another installment of The Gist of Freedom is Still Faith. I'm your host, Ilyasa Shabazz, and I'm dedicated to preserving the legacies of Malcolm X, Dr. Betty Shabazz, and countless others upon whose shoulders we all stand today. We aim to empower our listeners with dignity and self-respect and to make an oath to empower at least one child. This show is co-produced by acclaimed educator and author, Ms. Leslie Gibbs, and serves our weekly online discussion to celebrate the African-American experience. By honoring all the people, past and present, black and white, who with faith and focus, are preserving our rich history through literature, the arts, the skilled trades, and the humanities. Be sure to gather your family, friends, and students to listen online at blackhistoryblog.com and on iTunes at Black History University. We'd love for you to be a part of our discussion by calling in with your comments or questions to 347 324-5552. Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'll be your host this evening. Music for Jesus. Lyrics of Freedom. Good evening, everyone. My name is Preston Washington. I'm your host this evening. I'm sitting in for Alicia Shabazz. And tonight, C.I.M.B. Steele, who is a rapping grandma. And she's here to share her experience and explains the essence of becoming a real G in your community and the need that we have for real, more real grandmas out there in our communities. Good evening. Good evening. How are you? I am fair to Midland. How you be? Well, let me tell you something, honey. I'm a rapping grandma and I'm feeling great. That's a G thing, you know. <laughs> I understand. So tell our audience how you got into this G thing. Uh, well, a rapping I, grandma. I wrote a poem. Uh, it was called I'm Connected to My Disconnect. And it's a rather long poem, uh, but it it takes you, it takes the person on a journey, on my personal journey, from the time I was being raised by my grandmother down in Georgia, all the way to the 21st century, where I have my iPads and my iPods, and and I'm telling digital time and all that kind of thing. But it's a it's a rather long story. So what I wanted to do was make it more accessible. So then I wrote a song called I'm a Grandma Doing My G Thing, and it has to do with the generations, the genealogy, and the guts and the glory of the people that brought me across a great journey. Okay, so you're into education. Uh, Tell us about your mother. well, you were my by mother, your grandmother, but tell us about your mother. My mother, her name is Lucille Ford Taplin Smith, and she was born in LaGrange, Georgia, in 1918. Uh, they didn't think she was going to live. She was so small that uh, my grandmother made a little pillow for her to lay on, and she thought that was going to be where she died. Well, they made a little pill and they made a little box to put her in. I think they had a shoe box or something. They covered it with cloth. And uh, they laid her in there. And, honey, she is 96 years old. <laughs> oh. She didn't die. She had a spirit in her, and she's, she's still living. So I give the credit to my grandmother, who ended up raising me, when my mother went uh, to work for the United States government in 1942. 1942. Yes, she survived the 
depression and went on to Spelman College. She was the first one in our family to go to college, uh, uh, at least of the Fords in um, LaGrange, Georgia, and she won a scholarship to Spelman in 1936. So I write, I've written about all this in my rap. So that's, <laughs> I kind of wanted to uh, give you a preview because I can do the rap and then we'll talk about it if that if that's okay with you. Okay, well, before we do that, um, I understand you have a son that's a pilot. Uh, tell us about your children before we get into the rap. Oh, my sons? Oh, listen. I have two sons, uh, Robert Jason Steele, he's my youngest, and uh, my oldest is Alan Tyrone Steele. And uh, he was, we were fortunate enough to move to New York when they had a very uh, wonderful education system. This is in the 80s. And I brought my children here from Indianapolis, Indiana, and uh, enrolled my son in uh, Park West High School, which actually no longer exists. It was on the far west side of Manhattan. And they had an aviation program. He had been in love with airplanes ever since he was a child, so I wanted to, I wanted to help him with those dreams. So we moved to New York, and I got him in Park West High School, and they had an aviation program, and he joined Civil Air Patrol, and he was flying airplanes at the age of fifteen. Good idea. Yeah, and that was all through the the city of New York school system. Uh, it was it was amazing that uh, that uh, it was amazing that I was able to do that in the eighties. And also, my youngest son Robert Steele, uh, he was in uh, he was in junior high, and he went on to be valedictorian of his class. And he actually skipped. Uh, seventh grade and went on to eighth grade here in the city of New York. So I had a wonderful, wonderful experience with the city of New York as far as education is concerned. And, and that son is a uh, professional computer technician now? Oh, yes, my oldest son, yes. Now he, he he's a professional computer technician, and my youngest son is a writer, a composer. Uh, he's a father of two children, and... Uh, He's quite an internet whiz himself. So uh, a lot of the skills that they learn, they learn right here in the city of New York. And supported uh, by their mother. Well, you know, I I kind of did things a little different because I brought them here at the age of eleven and fourteen, and most people were like, "Why would you take children to New York?" At the age of 11 and 14, that's when they start getting in trouble. But I felt like that was when they were really interested in stuff, and New York was the most interesting place I had ever heard of. So I brought them here to to help them understand the world and to be part of something that they would always carry with them, no matter where they went. They would never forget their experiences, and hopefully they learn something. I'm sure they you can't you can't hold on forever, but you can plant some seeds, and Certainly. that's another G gardening. Good for you. <laughs> you no, got to uh, be the, you got to be a constant gardener. <laughs> exactly. You mentioned the surname Still S T I L. Are they related to the uh, famous Underground Railroad family? You know, Leslie and I talked about that. I am I married into a Steele family, and I don't know a lot about their history. Um, I, we just thought it was quite coincidental, and of course, we we were excited about those coincidences. But um, I I don't really know. It's possible. It's very possible. I've been doing research on my. Um, mother's family, which are the Fords, and my father's family, which are the Taplins. And the Taplins come from the Mississippi uh, area, also New Orleans, 
Mississippi area. And my mother's family, the Fords, come from Georgia. Mm, I see. Yeah, so I'm I'm interested in all that. Okay. Uh, I think we uh, may be pretty close to queuing up. Uh, oh, yeah. And take a listen to that. And then... Grandma doing her G thing. Grandma doing her G thing. 
Yes, and it's it's an introduction to a workshop that I created because after I perform this uh, with, usually it's with children and either uh, other children or it could be a family member. Then I created a workshop and you know, I I asked them would they like to make their own um, little story because all I did was ask some questions. I asked. I started thinking about the questions of where I was, when I was born, who I was, where did I live, and so I came up with some questions that I asked children, and uh, I asked them where they were born and. Uh, who was the president when they were born, or the the, the parent or the guardian can answer the question. And um, through these series of questions, we create a little history. We find out, uh, and it's all about G. You find out your geography. You find out your generation. You start finding about your genealogy. When you find out who the president was, you're finding out about government. And um, when I, I asked them name something that they got in trouble for, uh, that's kind of like their guts. Uh, you know, it takes guts to, to be a child. And sometimes kids do some really strange things, but it it kind of shows a character. It's not a bad thing. It just needs to be recognized, energy. And then what was something that they were really proud of, and that's their glory. And after they figure out that they do have some nice things about themselves, they can make up their own rap song about themselves, and they usually love it. Well, I'm sure they do. Uh, they love it. And the other part about it is they can also learn to interview their grandparents, whom they may have never even thought about that maybe grandma used to be a child. They don't, you know, we have to we have to make them remember that we were children too at one time. And sometimes we forget to talk to them about what we went through. And it's real important for a child to know that we had a struggle that we that we overcame because sometimes children think they're the only ones that ever have problems, but they're not. We all have problems, but we can solve them. We can talk. We can find out about who we are. We can find out about Uncle Harry, why he acts the way he does. <laughs> you know, okay. you can find out some really lovely things about your family just by interviewing your parents and your grandparents and your uncles. I think you're really on to something there, CIMB, <laughs> um, in, in terms of getting young people involved uh, in their genealogy and in their history. Yes, in, yes. Uh, activity. Um, and so it's, it's a wonderful uh, experience that I have come through in my own journey, and so I wanted to share it. I want to share it with everyone I can. And so I start here with with you and this gist because this is black history and we're making our own history as we speak. Exactly. Now you mentioned uh the president. Um what role did uh his uh, mother-in-law uh, his daughter's grandmother living there in the White House. How did that figure into your inspiration to do your particular rap? Well, you know, uh, for my people, they came through the Depression. And I've often heard my grandmother talk about the um, president. Now, my mother was raised in a very rural environment. She could have easily then just another person who married and had children early, stayed on the farm, but she chose education, or maybe education chose her, but it was her way out. And when she took a government test, because when World War II happened, they were actually recruiting all the talented young black people from the South to come to Washington, D.C. and work. 
before the war effort. It was called the Department of War. And when you worked for the government, that was your job. And they, uh, as a college person, she was able to take, uh, she was able to qualify for a test. And she and about six of her friends who all had graduated and they had education, they all took the test. They all passed the government test. And she was told, you'll never make it. You don't like getting up. You don't like doing anything. Well, she worked for the government for 42 years. And she left the South. She left what could have been just another ordinary life. And just by her action, she created a whole new history for her family and for me to come along and be the beneficiary of all her hard work. Yeah, I see a, a parallel, a corollary there uh, yes. in reference to uh, Michelle Obama. Yeah. Her mother living in the White House, and apparently, you know, Michelle Obama is quite accomplished. Law degrees, Harvard, went to, was it Yale or Princeton? Um, well, see, our, our grandmothers, grandmothers, no matter what woman you are, your mother becomes the grandmother to your children. And uh-huh. when your mother has raised a daughter to become uh, the president's wife, those children, those grandchildren have a special relationship with their grandmother because she gets to live in the White House, but she doesn't have to leave her values behind. And that's what I wanted to represent. The values of grandmothers go wherever we go. You can be a grandmother in the White House or you can be a grandmother in your house, but you're just as important and even more so because we are the community that raises the awareness so that we know who to vote for in our government. And all of this is part of my whole G thing. I I want to discover the letter G in new ways, and I want people to be G-oriented and do good things and and work for the greater good of their communities. It's all about that G, honey. (laughs) When you were uh, speaking earlier, you made a reference to a MF. Can you uh, elaborate on on that reference to MF? Well, I didn't want to say curse words on TV, or I mean on radio, but that is just the same MF that we've been saying all the time because it was a very heightened emotional moment when my great-grandmother had to fight her own father to keep from being a slave. Because because he was the son of the white man, he didn't have respect for his own children. So he wanted to enslave his own children. And my great-grandmother is the one that said, no, you will not enslave me, you MF. How could you enslave your own daughter? So that's the emotion. So we all know what MF means. But okay. she very determined, and she was working for a white family as a cook, and they're the ones that helped her get the paper to sever her ties from her own father. But she also got some land because she was his daughter, and he was the white man's son. She had to use legal means to get away from her own father. And she had resources from uh, people there in the community that helped her with that. Yes. She was a cook. She worked at a family who were white, and they knew of her plight, and there, there are white people who were with us, who helped us. Of course there were. We didn't get, I mean, Obama did not get elected by black people alone. So we didn't get through this world with black people alone. We got through this world with white people, too. So she was working for a white man as a cook. Her father was a white man who wanted to enslave her, wanted her to go out and work the fields, I guess. Tell me, have you you written that book yet? Is this in a book? 
<laughs> no, it's not in a book. It's just in my rap song. I haven't written a book. I'm trying to do the rap, the research to find Columbus because Columbus Ford is the great grandfather of my is the father of my grandfather, and he is the one that I know nothing about. All I know is I did find some records about him. But my grandmother's mother is the woman who fought slavery, and her parent was a slave woman and the the half-white man. Okay, you've got to get this out in a book. Uh, I'm reminded that this is sounding something a cross between uh, colored girls and and beloved. Well, uh, you know, it's a lot of stories because I grew up in Lagrange, Georgia, and my grandmother. Well, you know, it was the fifties, and uh, we had fireplaces that we sat by, and we they talked, and we didn't have television, and we didn't have you know those kind of things. So they told these stories, and 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 I've never forgotten them. I saw the graves. I went to Mount Zion Baptist Church on an old dirt road for the family reunions, and the one-room schoolhouse was next to the church, which was across the street from the graveyard, and and that was where they lived. I went to the same I didn't attend the school, but I was able to see the same school that my mother went to. And because my grandmother could read, she only had a second-grade education, but she was a teacher in the one-room schoolhouse because she could read. So how old were you when you first heard these uh, oral stories? How old were you? Oh, I started living with my grandmother when I was three. So... Oh, I must have been four, five, or six, all in those areas. And I lived with her until I was nine. And by that time, my mother's government job was paying really well, and I, I moved with my grand, with my mother. But I always would visit in the summer after that. But I knew all about the church. I knew all about the singing with no organ just patting your foot and singing. Okay. And, uh, I knew, I, you know, I was I was thoroughly a, a Southerner. There was nothing that I didn't know about my family because all we did was communicate. And well, why, you've answered, you've answered hmm? this somewhat already, but I'm curious about how did it make you feel, your experience that you're talking about hearing these stories, how did it make you feel about your family and your relationship with white people and interracial relationships, mixed couples? How did that did that influence you in any way? Well, we are all related somewhere because we've got the mixture of our heritage. And some of us came from the white man and the Indian. Uh, and 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 the uh, well the Native Americans, and then we have uh, Columbus Ford, who who I was told he was just a black man with an accent. They didn't know where he came from, but he married my his wife Nancy Ford, and she was an Indian. And then out of that relationship came my grandfather. And then he married my grandmother, who was the granddaughter of a slave. So, you know, I just know that we are all part of a whole quilt because my grandmother made quilts and she made clothes and she sold for everybody. And we had white people in our house, and they would buy her dresses just like the black women. And she would often say, I don't have no color in my house but green. And that means if anybody come here with the money for their clothes, I'm going to make it. 
And so she sold for the entire city of LaGrange, Georgia. And when we went to the Five and Dime store to pick up her needles and thread and different things, all the white ladies knew her because 10 to 1, they were wearing a dress that she had made. Okay. And so they say, oh, hey, Miss Zola, how you doing? I see you got your granddaughter with you today. She looks so nice. You always keep a dress. And she say, how do, ma'am? She was very polite. How do, ma'am? Uh-huh. And she get her needles and her threads. She carried a little cup with her, a little collapsible cup. And while they were adding up what she was buying, she might get a remnant, some cloth or something. She'd take out that little cup, and she'd say, My granddaughter is so thirsty. I wonder if you would let her have some of your white water. (laughs) And, honey, that white woman would take that cup and go get that white water and bring it to me. And it wasn't until I was in my 30s, maybe even 40, that I realized what my grandmother had done. She gave me white water to let me know you can have anything in this world. Uh-huh. And I never what? forgot I never forgot it. So that is my, that's how I took it. It might have, well, my grandmother did a lot of talking. She told a lot of stories. And they were always very interesting. And she said, well, one day you, I'll be gone and you won't remember none of this. And I'd be going, well, where will you be? She said, child, I'll be gone. And I never understood that until she was gone. And, th- and then I realized this is the day she told me about years ago. So I had to start remembering because she was no longer here. And I wanted to honor her and what she had done for me. Now, it was your great-grandfather that was a white man, right? Well, his father was white, but you know how what that means. He was just a half-white nigger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Sorry, but that's what it was. <laughs> okay. Yeah. And what, what, uh, what more do you know about the father-daughter relationship? Uh, I don't know much. I just know that all my grand great grandmother's brothers and sisters were very close, but they did not have the same mothers because they sent him around to different farms, and he made children wherever he went. And that's why he wanted to get them all from these different places and bring them to his place, and they could work for him. That was the whole thing. He had all these children. I can't remember how many brothers and sisters my great-grandmother had. But she had a lot of them. Mm -hmm. They were the Lees. He was from the Lee Plantation in LaGrange, Georgia. And my great-grandmother was a Lee. Was there anyone affected adversely from that relationship or those circumstances? Well, you know, from from the ones that I did get a chance to meet and listen to as they sat around and told their stories, they laughed about it. They, they you know, we have a compassionate nature. We have a very compassionate nature. I don't know how he died. I don't know any of that story. But all I know is they survived and they they were happy. I don't know what happened to him. Now, I do know that one of the slaves on the plantation of my of my grandmother, his name was Uncle Mark. Now, he lived into the 1920s. He lived in the slave house or the big house, but all the white people died. My grandmother had five children. Well, she had four at the time. And she took her four children and moved into that house to take care of Uncle Mark. Well, my mother was probably six to eight years old, and she was telling me this story. 
like I had said earlier, she was a frail child. So they didn't let her work in the fields. Everybody had to work in the fields, even though there was no more slavery. If you didn't work the fields, you didn't eat. So everybody had to work the fields. You might not have had no cotton, but you had to plant and you had to harvest. Well, she didn't work the fields, but she had a job. She had to fan Uncle Mark. And in the summertime, she had to fan the flies off of Uncle Mark. Well, Uncle Mark was mean, and he had been, I think probably he had dementia or whatever or just post-traumatic slave disorder. He would tell my mother, I'm going to sell you for a bale of cotton because you'll never be no good. <laughs> you know, I'm <laughs> so curious. Uh, you he, mentioned earlier. He had been uh, one of the trusted people on the plantation, so he could kind of tell the master, well, that one ain't doing good, and we need to sell it, get rid of it. So he would say that to my mother. Slavery was over. Mm. And she would, he would tell her, you're no good. I'm going to sell you for a bale of cotton. I'll be darned. So, you know, she survived. She had, some, she had a lot of stories. <laughs> I want to get back to your, uh, your singing and your rapping. And uh, you mentioned earlier... Uh, singing in church without instruments, patting the foot, clapping the hands. Uh, yes. Did you have some what of a career singing before you became a rapping grandma? Oh, yes. Well, um, like I said, I, I was raised in the Baptist church in LaGrange, Georgia, Mount Zion Baptist Church, and also First Baptist Church in LaGrange, Georgia. And uh, once I moved with my mother in the north, I... I sang a little bit, but my mother was Catholic. She married my father in 1942, and he was a Catholic. And at that time, people had to convert, so she was Catholic. So there wasn't too much real singing in a Catholic church. (laughs) But I liked the radio, and uh, I would listen to radio, and eventually... I ended up auditioning for Stax Records, and I became a background singer when I was in my 20s. Uh, and, any particular uh, groups or any particular records we might remember? Well, no, unfortunately, or there may be some people who had heard of the group that I sang with. Um, during the time when I got with Stax, it was the 70s, and a lot of the record companies were trying to keep up with the new wave music. And the new wave music was uh, like Sly and the Family Stone and uh, Funkadelic, and they had that whole counterculture going on. So Stax Records wanted a counterculture uh, experience. And so my producer at the time, his name was Dale Warren, he created a group called 24 Karat Black. And we were the alternative uh, group that was going to come out of stacks uh, to compete, you know, in the arena with um, Bootsy and, and uh, those, Sly and the Family Stone and those type groups, uh, Rotary Connection and different things like that. But at any rate, um, Stacks uh, became involved in a suit, a lawsuit with CBS Records, and CBS wiped out Stax Records before anything happened with the group. Well, fast forward 40 years, I found the album that we recorded. I found it on YouTube. It's being sold on Amazon. I have never received a dime for it, but people are buying it. It's still out there. It's called 24 Karat Black, Ghetto's Misfortune's Wealth. And the second album is called 24 Karat Black, Gone the Promises of Yesterday. Would you uh, would you repeat that for us, the titles, and, and repeat them a little bit slower because I'm sure our listeners are going to want to write that down, and as soon as we finish, they're going to get onto YouTube, as I will, and check this out. So give us those titles again, but a little bit slower. Okay. All right. The group is called... 2424 Carat Black, C A R A T, Black. And um, the first album is called Ghetto 
Misfortune's Wealth. And the second album is called 24 Karat Black, Gone the Promises of Yesterday. Gone the Promises of Yesterday. Yeah, Gone the Promises of Yesterday. I was featured as a vocalist. The first professional recording that I did is on YouTube. It's called I'll Never Let You Go. And it's done in the, uh, my persona was to be kind of a, uh, the the record company was grooming me to be kind of like a Sylvia-type uh, singer. I don't know if you remember Sylvia. She did Pillow Talk. Oh, yeah, yeah, Pillow Talk. Yeah, yeah. I remember. <laughs> so when you go to YouTube and you listen to I'll Never Let You Go, it has that breathy, um, sexy quality. Oh, uh, yeah. And, and that, was, that was to be my hit record. It, it never got released. But somehow or another, 40 years later, it's on YouTube. So I don't, yeah, I don't understand I'll never let you go. <laughs> I don't you understand know, these things, but there it is. <laughs> uh, do you, uh, before we do that, we're gonna, I want to uh, end the show with you uh, giving us a song. Um, oh. And before we do that, however, um, I'd like to get your contact information. Do you have... So as listeners may want to contact you, and I understand you do performances there in the New York area, workshops and whatnot. Oh, so yes, yes. It would be a good thing if our uh, listeners could get a hold of you. So a web page, okay. email address, uh, whatever you would want to give us, and very slowly so we can write this down. Okay. All right. My name is C, initial C. Niambi, which is N-I-A-M-B-I, and the last name is Steele, S-T-E-E-L-E. My email address is cniambi2020, that's 2020, at gmail.com. And I am on Facebook, which is www.facebook.com slash cniambi. And that's it. I I can be contacted through those. Do you have any performances coming up? Um, actually, I am rehearsing for a play that will come up in February, uh, right around Valentine's Day. I'll be posting the details of that on Facebook. It's called That L Word, and it's all about love. (laughs) Now, um, we want to end the show now, and uh, we'd like to end that with you singing a song from Leslie's play, uh, The Underground Railroad Lesson. Could you uh, give our uh, listeners a bit of that as we go out? Well, the, the most fabulous, well, one of the most fabulous songs that was in that play was the very, uh, one of the very last songs. And uh, it's a song that came from the South, and I don't know, I don't know how, I don't know who started it. I think, uh, I think Clara Ward wrote it, but it kind of sums up the slavery experience, and it's called How I Got Over. Oh, yeah. And uh, <laughs> we, when we sang it, um, well, it was, it was pretty much just a, a, the singer, the voice, and the Pat another foot. How I got over, how I got over. My soul looks back and wonders how I got over. Oh, as soon as I can see Jesus, oh yes, the man that made me free, oh yes, the man that bled and suffered, oh yes, and 
died for you and me. Oh, yes, I'm going to thank him because he taught me. Oh, yes, I thank him because he brought me. Oh, yes, I thank him because he kept me. Oh, yes, and I thank him because he never left me. Oh, yes, I thank him for the whole Bible. Oh, yes, I thank him for the good old revival. And I thank him for having the vision, oh, yes. And I thank him for old-time religion. I'm going to sing hallelujah. You know I'm going to shout trouble's over. Well, I thank him for all, all he's done for me. Well, how I got over, how I got over my soul. Back and wonders, Lord, how I got over. Oh, my word, very good. Really thank appreciate you. you, and we thank you, City thank Naomi you. Hill. Thank you for joining so us. Much. For thank joining you. us here on the Gist of Freedom, um, sharing with us your history, your singing history, your rapping history your family's history, um, telling us about your two great sons and the accomplishments they they have achieved. And um, after talking with you this past 45 minutes or so, there's no doubt to where they get their grit from. So Thank we really you appreciate so you joining us. I'm sure that you'll be hearing from our listeners. I'll be hooking up with you here pretty quick on Facebook. Thank and, you. Uh, maybe... Uh, we can have you back in the future. I would love it, and I just want to tell everybody, everybody's got a story to tell. Hello. Just find that G in yourself, and you'll be able to get up and go. <laughs> Thanks again. My name is Thank Preston you, Washington. Uh, ladies Thank and gentlemen, I've been your host here on The Gist of Freedom. Our producer is Leslie Gist. You can get a hold of her at Leslie at The Gist of Freedom. Dot com. Should you have uh, suggestions for future shows, guests you'd like to hear, subjects that you would like to discuss. Again, good night, everybody. People make the world go round.
make the world.